you're gonna need a bigger boat. No. I am your father. I'm gonna make him an offer again. Life was like a box of chocolates. Wax on, wax off. I see dead people. Here's Johnny. He's a liar. You can't handle the truth. Good morning, Vietnam. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. Get away from her, you bitch. If I take you on. I promise I'll work so hard. God, this is a mistake already. Cinematic leave. Hi and welcome to Cinematic Leap, a movie podcast where we apply a six degrees of Kevin Bacon style process to select our next, our next movie. Uh, each week we will watch a movie, provide our review, then take a cinematic leap by selecting an actor, director, crew member within this pod's movie to choose our next movie. Rules are simple. Whoever chooses this pod's movie sits out selection. One of the remaining hosts then chooses an actor or crew member to take our cinematic leap with leaving our final host to then choose the next movie. You can't choose an actor, crew member, that has been chosen within the last six choices. As always, I'm joined by my two wonderful co-hosts, Michael Thompson. Get in the ring. <laughs> Old school. And Glenn Grady. Hello. Gentlemen, how are we? Really good. Good. Going well? Mm-hmm. Very good. Thumbs up from Glenn while he drinks his Bilsons. Nice work. Yes, we're good. We're All good. Right. <laughs> so this week, or sorry, this pod, we are doing Million Dollar Baby, the 2004 sports drama directed, produced and starring Clint Eastwood. Also starred Hilary Swank and Morgan Freeman. Had a budget of $30 million, made $216.8 million. Uh, on Rotten Tomatoes, 8.4 out of 10 Metacritic, 86 out of 100, and IMDb, 8.1 out of 10, which shows was pretty well reviewed by the general populace. Uh, won Best Picture at the 2004, oh, sorry, Best Picture for 2004 at the 77th Academy Awards. Also won Best Director for Clint Eastwood. Uh, Hilary Swank West best, won Best Actor. Uh, best Supporting Actor was Morgan Freeman, and Clint Eastwood was also nominated for Best Actor. Michael, play the trailer. Do your best, Lord, to protect. Other than that, you know what I want. There's no use me repeating myself. Mr. Bell? I owe you money. No, sir. I know your mama. Thought you might be interested in training me. I don't train girls. People see me fat, Sam. Pretty tough. Girly, tough ain't enough. There's magic of fighting battles beyond endurance. It's the magic of risking everything for a dream that nobody sees but you. Who's your new girl? Jesus. Working the bag, boss. I'm not your boss. You're not bags working you. The girl tends to be coming along. Almost like someone's been helping her. I seen you looking at me. Yeah, out of pity. Don't you say that if it ain't true. If I'm too old for this, then I got nothing. If I take you on... I promise I'll work so hard. You don't question me. And I'm gonna try to forget the fact that you're a girl. Now, what is the rule? Protect myself at all times. Good. Find a man, Mary Ann. People hear about what you're doing out there. <laughs> they laugh at you. <laughs> I got nobody but you, Frankie. Well, you've got me. I made a lot of mistakes in my life. I'm just trying to keep you from doing the same. I know, boss. Good man to have in the corner. Yes, he is. Hey, hey get the hell down, you how old I am. I just want to keep her with me. You just protected yourself out of a championship. 
Frankly, I've seen you at Mass almost every day for 23 years. The only person who comes to church that much is the kind who can't forgive himself for something. You got a fight I don't know about? You gonna leave me? Never. All right. So I chose the Leaper, which was Morgan Freeman. Um, and the reason why I chose him was because he is just a brilliant actor to watch. He does a lot of enjoyable movies. Um, there were so many that I wanted him to, or wanted Glenn to choose uh, that he has been in. Uh, he did choose, Glenn did choose Million Dollar Baby, um, which from what I remember when we were doing the leaping, when I was scrolling through his IMDb when I saw it, uh, I knew Glenn had picked this once before and it wasn't overly positive from what I can recall. Um, but so many is, other films. <laughs> so many other films. Um, but he's just hes just a great actor uh, to watch. He's a great actor to listen to. You can put him in a voiceover of anything um, and I think that he would make it better. So he's just great to listen to. Glenn, now you did choose – you were the lead P. So you got to choose the movie. Why did you choose this one? Um, I chose this one because I remember seeing it when it first came out at the cinema. Um, but even though I remember seeing it, I don't remember the film at all. I don't remember anything about it other than it was a boxing movie and that I really liked it, which surprised me at the time because I'm not a boxing fan. Um, I have no interest in it at all, really. Um, and I just remember coming out being so surprised that a boxing movie I just liked so much. And, yeah, I've forgotten all about everything about this movie, so I wanted to see it again and see if it was still as good as I remember. Um, yeah, so it was fun to watch again. Yep. Now, Michael, um, you hadn't seen this movie, correct? I had not, no. And I know I was pretty negative when Glenn chose it, Um what were your initial thoughts going into this? Well, um, I, my wife had seen this film a few weeks earlier and I was pretty confident I wasn't going to see the film at that stage. <laughs> Unlucky. So I said, look, you know, just like she said, oh, there's a, you know, it's going to really, you know, like, you know, it really changes in the end. I go, well, tell me what happens. And um, so she kind of divulged, like, you know, how it ends. I've gone, it's a terrible film. Why would I want to watch this? <laughs> Confirming, not watching this. However, Glenn has got me. <laughs> I'm fascinated why Carol would have found this movie, to be honest. Um, oh, she loved it. She loved it. She thought it was a really good film. Yeah. What will I come up with next? <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> God knows. Yeah. Rocking yeah. in the chair. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. Um, well, look, I had seen this movie and all I remember after watching it, because we got on DVD when it first came out, me and my wife, and we watched it, and I just remember being depressed as hell at the end of it. Like, as a massive sports movie fan, um, I just remember being really disappointed with this movie or coming out of it just feeling like feeling <laughs> shit ass. So I wasn't excited when, when Glenn chose this. Uh, I remember I audibly gasped and tried to convince him otherwise that it was a stupid choice. But, uh, yeah, so I wasn't overly positive. Uh, going into this, but um, we'll discuss our thoughts on the movie afterwards. Glenn, over to you for the synopsis. All right. Okay. So um, just uh, before I start, just a reminder that as always, there will be spoilers if there hasn't been already. Um, so make sure you do watch this movie 
um, before continuing because um, it's. I feel like it's a much better movie if you don't know where it's going. Um, not your typical sports movie. Uh, well, let us ruin it for you. Up to you. Yeah. So, okay, I'm going to go through the synopsis and I'm going to try and keep it moving as quick as I can. Um, But you guys feel free to jump in at any time. You will have anything you want to add. Um, I have sort of skipped over one subplot because I just want to keep this as short as I can. So, um, the whole bit with the character who is at the gym all the time training, that danger character, I've just skipped over that whole subplot because. I felt it what didn't contribute too much, um, even though I might be wrong. But anyway, we start with Maggie Fitzgerald. She's a waitress, um, 31-year-old waitress who is keen to take up boxing. She's been training on her own for a little while, and she comes along to uh, this gym, which is owned and run by Frankie, who's played by Clint Eastwood. Clint, uh, Frankie is a... Uh, He's a trainer. He's been training boxers for many, many years. Um, he knows his stuff. He gets through um, his life just running his gym and he's got one boxer uh, under him at the moment that he trains, but he he seems like a quite overprotective sort of trainer and just um, won't book this guy for big fights like the title fight that this, this guy really wants. And I've gone off script already off my notes, but we'll get back to it. Um, the point is Maggie wants uh, Frankie to train her, um, but he just flat out denies her. He says, no, I don't train girls. Um, she keeps coming back to the gym and um, yeah. Pays six month membership, I recall. Like just says, you know, here's my, here's my six month membership. Yeah, so Morgan Freeman works works for Frankie um, at the gym. He's like the cleaner. He's a retired uh, boxer, ex-boxer, who was trained by Frankie uh, for a long time. Um, and Frankie just says, get rid of her, get her out. You know, I'm not training her and just don't, you know, I don't want her here. And, and Morgan Freeman says um, she's paid six months membership already. And he's like... All right. Well, just don't encourage her. We'll, we'll keep her money. Just don't encourage her. So, <laughs> um, we also find out early on that Frankie is very religious. He goes to church every day. Um, Maggie doesn't give up. She keeps coming to the gym. She keeps training herself, just practicing punch in the bag, nonstop. Just it's like her life outside of being a waitress. That's what she does. So, yeah, Morgan Freeman basically narrates the film, telling the story of Frankie and Maggie. Um, so he he does encourage and help Maggie, um, even though Frankie told him not to. And after Frankie loses his fighter to a new trainer, um, who will book him into the bigger fights, he eventually, he eventually and reluctantly agrees to train Maggie. As they train, they grow close. The relationship between him and Maggie becomes very much like a father-daughter relationship. Um, Maggie lost her father many years ago, and um, Frankie does have a daughter, but he hasn't seen her in such a long time, and he doesn't really know where or she is or what she's doing now. So they sort of bond a bit as a, as a father and daughter kind of relationship. Yes, Scott? Yeah, I. it's just... This part of the movie, I guess, 
as, as I said, I'm a massive sports movie fan. It's, it's just following that standard um, classic sports trope, you know, poor person, pearl person battling for the top. You know, she's determined, she knows she's trash, but, but really wants to find her own worth. And um, But it's really nice that she's really respectful towards Frankie, even though Frankie continues to treat her like shit. She's always really respectful towards him. Um, mm-hmm. And I do love the introduction of the characters. You, um, <clears throat> you, you sort of get a pretty good gauge. And, and look, again, it's not that dissimilar in a lot of ways to the way Rocky starts, where you've got this trainer that doesn't necessarily want to train the boxer. In, in Rocky's case, it's Mickey doesn't really want to train Rocky, um, just thinks he's a bum, and, and it's not that dissimilar to here. I guess with that, in Rocky, you don't sort of have that Morgan Freeman character. But it, it does, it starts out as that standard sports trope. But um, it sort of builds nicely from there. Maybe maybe it'd be a different film if, like, if Rocky, in Rocky, if, like, Morgan Freeman was actually narrating the whole way through to it, <laughs> you know. Um, and you don't really, you don't actually see Morgan Freeman until they get to the gym. There's the fight and he's narrating over stuff. It's kind of, is he in the film? Is he just narrating the whole thing? I asked that as we were going through it. And it's like, oh, there he is. He's the he's the guy. He's the well, guy looking after the place. It's it's funny in my notes. The first thing I, the first thing I, I wrote was starts with a Morgan Freeman voiceover. Got to love a Morgan Freeman voiceover. Like it's just it is. He's just it's just a, it's a great way to start a movie. I think every movie should basically start like this. Even the great ones like Godfather well, or Die Hard, you could it, just put a voiceover in from Morgan Freeman. He'd be happy. Controversial. Yeah. I was um, I was getting tired of it. Oh. Ooh. Well, I, I, know, I know. Controversial, I know. You, might, but, you, um, could, actually, you, know, we'll, you could quite possibly get kicked out of the podcast for those sorts of things. I could. We'll next, thing you, next thing you're <laughs> going to do is, is, I mean, if you, the closest thing, you, that's close. If you mock um, Nicolas Cage, who's our spirit animal, then you definitely get kicked out. I would <laughs> never knock Nicolas Cage. I'd found I'll tell out you what, bagging bag a Morgan Freeman voiceover might just get you kicked <laughs> off, Michael. <laughs> yeah. Apparently there's going to be a National Treasure 3 if you're excited that. Ooh. Carry on, Glenn. Um, so this is the point where actually one of my favorite parts of the film where the training montage where she's like, you know, doing a skipping rope, she's practicing her boxing, and this is all accompanied by a, a great Morgan Freeman voiceover, <laughs> which just makes it that bit more powerful. And I don't know if the script was just really well written or if it's just his voice. It's it's something, but it just that that training montage was just so much better than the usual one, which just has a bit of music. Yep, Scott. Uh, any, Again, I've said that any movie could have a Morgan Freeman voiceover. Any movie could have a sporting montage thrown in. Um, one of my favourite <laughs> movies is is Rocky IV, uh, which I think goes for about 90 minutes. And I think they've actually clocked it. It's, it's something like 55 minutes of the 90 minutes is actually a montage. Um, and this and this movie has some really good um, training montages, as you said. Like it's it's a great again, it's a great sports trope, but it's much much needed in a boxing movie, um, and they do it really well here. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's a great way to shorten time montages. Why they're really important for filmmaking. Well, show it shows just really quick way of just showing a character developing the skills that they get to, like from where they are to really skillful fighter you know being able to fight you know and matches um it's because training is boring this is <laughs> i mean this is the takeaway for all of these things training is boring 
you know, let's skip let's skip through it on a montage. It's not just sports movies. All these films have training montages. I'm sure there's actually, um, you know, university films where there's a training, like a study montage. Or travel, if there's a lot of travel, or the same sort of repetitive job travel done over again. <laughs> or someone yeah, working I, their way up a I company. Think, <laughs> but I think, too, at this part of the movie, during this part of the movie, we really start to see the banter and the relationship between Eastwood and Freeman, or um, mm-hmm, I can't remember mm-hmm. his name, Frankie, and uh, what was his name? Um, Scrap Iron, I think, is. Yeah, you really start to see the relationship between the two, like they. They're antagonistic towards each other, but you can see that there's a genuine affection. Uh, They're very close, the, very close. Just, yeah, mm. the humorous banter, and it's, it's as though at times um, Frankie doesn't want him there, but then you can see that there's no way he could do the run the gym without him there. And it's just a, it's a really nice growth of that bond between the two at that, like, during that um, part of the movie. Good example is that conversation about why are there holes in your socks? Didn't I give you money for new socks? And there's a whole bit about yeah. nothing to do with the movie, but it just sort of shows their their relationship. <laughs> and yeah. he offers yeah. to give him more money for socks. He's like, yeah, you could, but that money might make its way to the track. So, <laughs> <laughs> and that's the thing. I think that's where this, and I'm sure we'll we'll go through it at some stage later in the pod. But how well written this movie is, it is a really good script, and it's, I think it's well directed, um, but. The actual script is is excellent throughout the whole movie, um, and it's those little exchanges between um, yeah Eastwood and Freeman during the movie that that just really make this make mm-hmm. this movie. Yep. So after he trains her up, he gets her skilled enough to you know get into a, have a do a fight. Um, he tries to palm her off to a, a manager that is um, hanging out at the gym. Um, but this new manager just doesn't treat her right. He he puts her up in fights that that he puts her up in a fight that she just won't win, and he doesn't coach her. He just says, "Yeah, you're doing all right. Keep keep going. You're doing all right." He doesn't really give her any feedback or advice during the fight that she's in, and she's just getting getting beaten. And Frankie's watching from down the back, like, um, trying to. He's sort of giving his advice out loud to himself, really, and to Morgan Freeman. And and Morgan Freeman's like, "She can't. She can't hear you." And so he just runs down there and takes over. Um, she says to the new manager, yeah, it's not working just between rounds. And now it's uh, Clint Eastwood is managing and coaching her in the fight. And she gets out there and she wins it. Um, so after this, Frankie agrees that he is going to manage her. And he has one rule that he drills into her, which is protect yourself at all times. Protect yourself. That's his like number one rule that that she has to always remember protect yourself so now we go into the um section where maggie fights her way up in the women's amateur boxing division with frankie's coaching she doesn't get much practice um in the fights because she just keeps knocking out her opponent in the first round often within seconds um and since she earns her reputation for quick knockouts, Frankie resorts to bribery to get other managers to put their fighters up against her, against her. He eventually moves moves her up a division, and she finally has a challenge. Um, this this challenge results in her winning at the end of the first round instead of the start of the first round. Um, her nose uh, gets broken. Um, 
and she shows that she doesn't this shows that she doesn't give up and she's like just put it back in place i'll you know i'll finish it and she goes back and she wins the fight later on they're at hospital with the broken nose and oh this is just one of my favorite scenes i don't put in the synopsis is not even important but at the hospital with the broken nose and she says to um frankie what what are you reading and he says and he says oh i'm just reading yates and morgan freeman says you're going to talk a little yates to her sure what a treat that is <laughs> which was a very funny line um but yeah the hospital scene is good because you see how concerned uh frankie is for her safety when she gets taken away by the doctors the, the look on his face scott yeah it's, it's funny i actually i actually as i do when i'm watching the movie i, I write notes and when he's bribing people i'm actually thinking jeez like again, I couldn't remember what it was like when I when I first watched the movie. So I'm sitting there watching. It, I'm going, is this relationship real and sincere, sincere between, you know, sort of Frankie and Maggie? Like, is there, is there, is Frankie just looking at this as Maggie is a cash cow for his struggling gym, or does he actually care? And then you see that he, when she gets a broken nose, you can really start to see that care that he has, and and obviously we we start to see that growth in the relationship as the movie continues but it, and it's funny as, as the movie continues you go that was a pretty stupid thing to think when you think about it um after yeah you, know, you specifically write the note down and then you watch the rest of the movie and you go yeah it's pretty stupid but <laughs> at this point i was i was generally going is it real and sincere or is it like is he just looking at this as a she's a bit of a cash cow that she's he's finally got a fighter that's making him some money and even though he's got to bribe them he's still making a fair bit of money off her and you know is the relationship there genuine but as we see, once she gets her broken nose, it is, it's it's a genuine relationship. Yeah, and you see that even more in the next scenes where he starts rejecting his offers for bigger fights, which would be worth a lot more money. But he's like just knocks them all back because he's see, it does seem overprotective. Um, one of the uh, one of the fights he rejects is a, a German fighter that's known for fighting dirty, um, which. Um, I think that's that's one of the champions, uh, the German fighter. Um, so, as a result of Frankie rejecting all these um, big fights, Morgan um, Morgan Freeman arranges um, for Maggie to meet with a different manager, but out of loyalty to Frankie, she she declines, and just like her fights, she quickly. She quickly says to this other manager, not a chance. I'm not going with anyone else. She just, you know, straight away rejects him, doesn't lead him on, doesn't drag it out, just like her fights. It's over quickly. And she says, no, I'm sticking with Frankie. So we next discover that Frankie um, writes letters to his daughter every week, but the letters always come back, return to sender. Um, he hasn't seen his daughter in many years, and you can see the box of envelopes that have been uh, sent back, returned to send it to him. So he's obviously thinking of his daughter a lot um, and keeping in touch with her as best he can, but not sure if she's even the one re returning the, to send her. I don't know. Michael? It's really important to note about this in that, like, um, an early interaction interaction with the priest. Yep. Uh, yep. The priest goes, have you been writing your daughter? And he goes, every day. Every week. And he, yeah, every yep. week. And you kind of think... All right, he's, he's pulling put a um, bullshit here, mm -hmm. and that's why the, the priest is kind of like you know going, yeah, don't lie to me, man. 
as you kind of think, oh, maybe he's a bit of an asshole there. Yeah. Um, that's when you find out, oh, wait, actually he has been. That's, yeah. yeah I do. He's pretty truthful that. I didn't write that in the beginning of the synopsis because I didn't think it was that important, just those quick church scenes where he's just seemed to be a bit of a jerk towards a priest, just wasting his time asking silly questions and the priest asking, have you been writing to your daughter? He's like, every week. And it just felt like another lie. Well, I thought it was a lie. But, yeah, you see that he has been. Um, he also um, he also avoids the, the title fights like he did with his previous mm-hmm. um, champion or future champion because I think he is. He's just over-cautious. And Morgan Freeman actually has a crack at him about it where, you know, stop stop holding her back. You, sometimes if you want to be successful, you've actually got to take that chance. Um, so, yeah. And I think, um, and this isn't in my synopsis either, so I'll just briefly mention it now, but I think a part of this overprotectiveness is because Morgan Freeman, when he was being trained by Frankie, lost his eye in a fight um, as a result of not not giving up and the blood just running into his eye um, through the fight and he didn't want to back down and he mm. ended up losing his eye. And I think um, Frankie felt guilty about that and that might be partly why he's just a bit more overprotective and just not thinking they're ready for the big fight, keep putting it off. So um, during this time, Maggie has been saving her money and Frankie advises her to buy a house because she's still living in a pretty rundown sort of place. Um, and then the next thing you know, they're off to Europe for some bigger fights. So um, they travel, I think, firstly to London and... Frankie gives Maggie a gift, which is a boxing robe with a Gaelic nickname he's given her, uh, embroidered on the back, which says Mo Chusley. I can't say it. Mo Chusley, something like that. But he won't tell her what it means. It's a Gaelic, uh, a Gaelic nickname. So this new nickname seems to quickly get the crowd on her side. They, they are all chanting the name. Um, and she just continues winning her fights across Europe. She... Uh, another montage of her just winning a bunch of fights. And she eventually saves up enough money, um, enough of her winnings to buy her, her mother a house. Um, not exactly what Frankie meant when he said you should buy a house, but she bought her mum a house. Her, her mum is um, basically trailer trash is, I guess, how you would describe these characters. They live in a trailer. The son's in jail. The daughter is cheating welfare by pretending a dead baby still alive and the mother is also cheating welfare payments i believe as well um michael yeah i guess like you know on the the house purchasing stuff morgan freeman's early voiceover talks about boxes with big hearts and refers to like danger whatever his name is like you know yeah he's all heart and he's a useless fighter and there's another character that's got no heart basically and I think this house buying stuff is to kind of show, look, um, Maggie's got heart, you know, like she's got determination, she's got the talent, but she's also full of heart, you know, looking after a family off her success. Mm-hmm. I kind of like that, you know, it shows a little bit. And then, of course, that scene is a, is a hot mess. <laughs> yeah, I think you're really kind on them, Glenn. They're, they're dead set pieces of shit. Her family, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. She she goes out, she buys the house, and it, and like her mum does just doesn't appreciate it at all. Pretty much says, "Well, you buy me this is going to ruin me getting welfare," um, and basically says to her, "People laugh, can't see, you know, I can't see why you got out. 
of, of where we are. You've, you've gone into a worse situation. People laugh, people mock. When I tell people that you box, they just, they just think you're a joke. And yet she's just bought her mum a house, no debt on it, no nothing. And it's just, yeah, you just sit there and you think, oh, Jesus, this poor girl. Like, Yep. And now I can skip my next paragraph. Thanks, Scott. <laughs> <laughs> so, sorry about that, Glenn. <laughs> no, it's all good. It's all good. It's better it's a conversation than one voice saying the whole thing. So it's all good. Um, but, yeah, obviously – as you said, much better than I was going to. The mother was not appreciative. <laughs> and yeah, the welfare payments, etc. And um, anyway, so the next scene, we've um, got uh, Frankie and Maggie driving back from um, Maggie's mum's. And they stop at a, they stopped at a gas station and um, Maggie sees a young girl with a dog at an, in another car. And she smiles at the little girl and gives her a wave and she she just um that dog reminds her of when she was younger and she she tells frankie when they're back on the road um the story of her dog axel and uh how it's how its back legs didn't work and it dragged itself around the house making her laugh when she was young and the story of when her when her dad was still alive and he even he was pretty sick as well at the time and her dad took her dog axel out into the forest one day and then come back that night alone um and that's when she noticed the shovel in the back of his truck so um, he had gone out and put the dog out of its misery. Um, and she and Maggie lost her dad soon after. But it was a she she tells this story to Frankie and um, a, a nice memory that she has of her dad and her dog. And um, she tells Frankie that he really is all she has now after that interaction with the family and the dad's gone as well. Um, yeah, you can see their relationship is getting really close. So they stop at the at a diner, and Frankie thinks about how nice it would be to own a place like this away from everything. Um, and this diner is is one where she had been to with her dad as well, which just adds to that nice um, sentimentality of that scene. Um, so Frankie now is finally willing to arrange a title fight, and he uh, secures Maggie a one million dollar match in Las Vegas against the WBA Women's Welterweight Champion, um, who just happens to be that German earlier who he refused to put her up against. But this is the German who has a reputation as a dirty fighter. Um, Frankie asks Maggie if she wants to fly or drive to Las Vegas, and Maggie's like, you're letting letting me decide something. That's great. I get to make a choice. (laughs) And so she says, let's fly there and drive home. And Frankie says, that's stupid. How are we going to do that? <laughs> so they get to Vegas. People chant the name again, the, the Gaelic name, and she still doesn't know what this name means. Um, uh, he, he says before this fight, you win the fight, I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what the name means. Um, I was tempted to Google it, but then I thought, no, I shouldn't know till the, till the character knows. I'll, I'll wait. <laughs> it's like if you're in the cinema, you don't oh, Google it, you know. It's the same. No, Except I, I didn't it. know how to spell it. Yeah. So, so. <laughs> no, I, was, I, I was tempted it, at this point. I'm not going to lie. I was like, I'll wait. I'll wait for the. I'll wait for the reveal if it gets revealed. Um, so we're at the Las Vegas fight against the champion. It's a big fight, huge crowd, televised. Um, Maggie begins to. She struggles, but she she gets there and she starts to dominate the fight. And she's a, she's a dirty fighter, um, and she gets 
you know, a few warnings. The the opponent gets a few warnings. Um, but Maggie holds on and begins to dominate, but then um, the opponent knocks her out with an illegal punch from behind after the bell has gone to end the round, um, which is just not on. Uh, Maggie falls and her neck lands on the edge of her corner stool um, at the corner of the boxing ring, and suddenly... Suddenly, a fun movie about achieving your goals suddenly changes to something completely different. And was it? I know I've seen this before, but this was a shock to me. <laughs> I, I did not see this coming. I did not know where this movie was going because I literally couldn't remember it. Um, I was I was very verbal at this point. I was like, no, 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 no. And like, I mean, I kind of knew it was coming, but it's like, not you know, I didn't. Yeah, like the setup was there, obviously, with the dirty fighter. But it's like, no, come on. Yeah, I have questions oh, about this for later. Mm-hmm. I, I was surprised. So this this was the reason why I I hated this movie. As as I said, like I'm I'm, I'm a huge sports fan, and usually in a sports movie, you you get generally you get a happyish ending. Yeah, you know, there's usually an underdog, especially in these sort of things, the underdog wins and and does well. So we're an hour and a half into the movie. With this title fight, and she's doing well, she's doing everything, and and really the 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 fight sequences in this are, are actually really good. I actually thought it was well mm-hmm. directed and well shot, and I actually thought it was quite believable, uh, and it built well. We had this really good villain, and it was reasonably realistic through the whole thing, and then you just get this whack, and bang, the the movie, the whole tone of this movie at that point changes and you know I guess as I said like I, I, I love my sports movies I'm a Rocky fan Rocky never had this even though he doesn't win in the original movie it's still a triumph spoiler. because he's a oh sorry it's spoiler alert well we did say there were spoilers but now we're spoiling a different movie but he doesn't win in the first one and but it's still a triumph because he is a dead set battler taking on the champion of the world so but for this to happen, it's an hour and a half into the movie, and I think I paused it at this point because I'm going, shit, we've still got, I think it's about half an hour to go. So this movie's still got a fair bit of traction. We've still got a fair bit to go through this, and she she basically can't walk after this. Um, I will say, for at this point, as I said, really good fight sequences. It's built well. It's quite realistic when you're watching it. This part when she hits the chair is just terrible like the way it's shot and i don't know how you could do it differently but it's just (laughs) it's just looks on screen looked really bad it was probably the only in terms of the actual cinematography of the movie was the only bad point of the whole film well i was gonna say so really bad as in it was a bad break or really bad as poorly shot no it's poorly shot it's terrible it looks terrible it looks ridiculously fake which I don't know how you actually make it realistic, but it looks ridiculously fake. Well, it was 2004. You know, we had lots of kind of tech to kind of They do could have made it better. Yeah. yeah. It was set up really well, though. The whole movie, the whole movie, every fight scene, every fight montage, that shot of him putting the chair in, pulling the chair out, putting the chair in, pulling the chair out. As soon as the bell goes, the chair goes in. As soon as she gets up, the chair goes out. And, and it was just that... Well set up again. It was like the bell rang, the chair goes in, and then yeah, like, yeah. So and, and this this will go into one of my questions later, which we'll we'll do now. 
Why was the chair like that? Why was it lay on its side and not standing upright? To the other guy do it? It yeah, might have been so it's the, on the way in. Yeah. It's the it's the trainer, it's the other guy, The because he did ask, because um, mm. Frankie had asked Eddie, um, Morgan Freeman's character, to come with him. And he said, no, 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 he goes, yeah, the gym will be an absolute mess if I don't stay here. So they did. They got someone from Vegas, an outsider, to help. But I still don't get why was the chair laid down on its side as opposed to upright. Now, it still might have impacted her, but the way her head hits it, it's a weird... Why was it lying on its side? It was one of the questions that I had when I was watching the movie. And my other question... I don't know the answer. The other question is, why didn't he pull it away? I mean, it was slow motion, though, so that's why it felt like there was a lot of time for him to just pull this chair away, so she just fell <laughs> yeah. flat. But it's just there. And a bit of slow motion, it's just sitting there. It's like, pull it away. But I guess it's, if it was faster speed, it would have looked more. I don't know. But yeah. if, yeah. You're going, if you're going for visual aspect, like it looks like, you know, someone is going to break their neck more likely on the side, you know, yeah. rather than the thing. Like it could have had the same result, but, you know, visually, certainly on the edge, looks like, wow, that's going to that's gonna hurt a lot more than on the flat. Yeah. Um, but it's just so, a weird way that they'd put it. So it was just one of the questions that I had, which... Yeah, and this isn't the most, you know, shocking or saddest part of the movie yet. <laughs> um, no, no, that's the thing. We've still which got is a surprise. Thirty, forty minutes to go. So uh, carry on, Glenn. Because I, I promise, I literally had I've forgotten this whole movie, and all I knew going in was what you, I think you guys might have said last week was like, oh, that's really sad. This or maybe. Um, one of you were like, I think Michael was like, oh, I don't want to watch that. It's too sad. And I, so I was like watching this today and I was like, is Clint Eastwood going to die? Does he get sick? You know, I had no idea what, what was coming. And so it was a huge shock when that happened to her because I literally had forgotten it all. <laughs> well, well, that's the thing. Cause, and I'd for, I knew that this was happening, but I couldn't, I didn't remember that we still had 40 minutes to go. Like, I thought that the this was how the movie ended and I just remember watching it going, well, that was shit. That's just made me feel terrible. Um, I didn't realise that after this, we still had another 40 minutes to go. So, sorry, continue. Okay, yes. So, I'll go back to my notes. Yeah, so this movie changes to something completely different and this just comes from nowhere. And next thing you know, she wakes up in hospital. She has a broken neck. She's paralysed from her neck down. She needs a machine to breathe. Um. They take her back home from Vegas in an ambulance. Um, they transfer her eventually back home. And she was happy that they were able to fly there and drive home as she requested. Um, when she's back home in hospital, um, Maggie looks forward to a visit from her family. Um, they arrive only after first visiting Disneyland and Universal Studios. Um, and they're accompanied by a lawyer who is with them to um, see that... Um, she signs um, a contract which transfers her assets to the family um, and he's there to, to witness, basically to witness that it's a legal, um, legally done, that she signs this. Um, and the family like, how do you sign? Here, put the pen in your mouth, you know, make your mark. And she's like, she spits out the pen and um, orders them to leave and she says, you know, I'm going to report your welfare fraud if you try to contact me again, you know. Um, yep, Scott. It, 
It, it, it's funny at this point. It's a boxy movie, but at this point, it was me that wanted to box on. <laughs> Again, there, like I guess, similar to Matchstick Men. I got I got emotionally involved in this movie. I, after absolutely hating on it before we watched it, I, I was I was fuming at this point. <laughs> Genuinely fuming. Oh, what the oh. fuck are these deadbeat pieces of shit doing here? Fuck off! I just yeah, I was rapable. Absolutely dead and- set rapable. <laughs> Yeah, and you knew they were like, you know, we knew they were dead shit from earlier. We would only limit the mother and the daughter. Um, but then, of course, yeah, they're, they're in town. They've been booked in for six days. Mm. And they rock up having gone to... Um, theme parks. I don't know, theme yeah. parks and, like, with all the T-shirts and stuff. It's like, well, we couldn't we couldn't take her along. It's like, <laughs> oh, my God, you guys are the worst. Yeah, that's what I mean. <laughs> I was fucking ropeable. <laughs> so, I mean, good good writing and good acting there then. Yeah, again, yeah. yeah. It's, again, it's a superb script. It really is. Um, so, yeah, she's in hospital. She Maggie soon develops bed sores and has to lose her leg because it's infected, um, gets it amputated. Um Frankie is by her side, like, constantly, um, and so is Morgan Freeman. They, you know, don't abandon her after this. Um, Frankie suggests she goes back to school. Um, he, I think he knows he, that she can still live a good life and, you know, she can control the chair with a straw thing in her mouth. Um, you know, I think he is trying to figure out her future, you know, what it might look like. But then she says to him, can I ask you a favour? a favor and he says sure anything you want and then she says do you remember what my daddy did for axel and then that's the worst part of the movie there <laughs> yeah okay uh, i was like oh my gosh <laughs> uh, he obviously immediately refuses and she says she can't live like this not after what she's done and you know she's seen the world she's got everything she ever wanted out of life and yeah, she doesn't need anything else. Um, but Frankie's like, I can't do it. I just can't. I can't do that. And so she uh, later bites off her own tongue in an in an attempt to bleed to death. Um, they they fix her up and she does it again. She's just t- really determined. She's she's done. Um, so. Um, Frankie goes and talks to his priest again about the situation, and and Frankie's priest warns him that he'd he'd never he'd never find himself again if he were to go through with her request. Um, but obviously, Frankie makes that he just he makes the decision, and he goes into the hospital one night. Uh, he's got a fatal injection of in- adrenaline, and he goes in and he um, he tells Maggie the meaning of the Gaelic nickname. He gave her, um, which was my darling, my blood, something like that. And um, he turns off the oxygen and injects her with the adrenaline and then off he goes. And he's never to be seen again at the gym. He never goes back. Um, Morgan Freeman's narration is revealed to be a letter that he's writing to Frankie's daughter, informing her of her father's uh, character, basically. Just letting him know, letting the daughter know what what her father is is really like. Um, after yeah, he disappeared, and Morgan Freeman's writing the letter. I, I thought to myself at this point, 
I hope he's gone off to buy a diner somewhere. I hope he's gone to buy that diner that they stopped at. And then we see the shot where Frankie is sitting at that same diner that he and Maggie had stopped at when things were going well. So, and that's the end. And what a movie. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the thing. Because when he, he get, doesn't he get, I guess the tie-in to the diner is that at the, Towards the start of the movie, he goes to see Maggie and she's at the diner and he orders was it lemon meringue or yeah. a lemon pie homemade, or something home, like that. And he said, uh, yeah, is, is it made with real with real lemons or, or whatever it is? And she goes, oh, no, it's lemon flavouring. And then when he goes to this diner, she says, no, this is actually made with the real stuff. Um, mm-hmm. This is made with proper lemons and all that sort of stuff. And, yeah, it's such a great ending. Um, great synopsis, Glenn. Um, cast characters. Glenn, I'll throw it over to you. This is your choice. What'd you think of the cast um, and the characters? Yeah, I thought. Um, gosh, it's good doing a podcast right after I watch the movie. It just it's because it's fresh. <laughs> it's so much better than other other times we've done it. Um, yeah, it was really the characters are really good. They're just I feel like they're really strong. Um, they seem to have really clear backstories that they don't necessarily spell out, but you just know they're there. And just the the people who frequent the gym um, that I didn't go into in the in the synopsis, but it just felt like a real place. Although there could, probably could have been one or two more people around, you would think. But the characters, um, yeah, I, I really thought. They were. I don't know what I'm going. Where I'm going with this, <laughs> um, but I, I thought they were good. Good characters, and um, I mean, I skipped over the whole danger. His name, uh, character danger, and his his ambition to be a boxer, but he was just useless. No, you know, just thinks, uh, and the bullies who bully him, and all the stuff that goes on there. But you know, that's just sort of the background to the whole story, really. So, um, yeah, it it felt. Felt well written, and it felt like the actors. Obviously, I mean, you can't fault the actors. I can't. Although Clint Eastwood, I don't know. I don't know. I feel like he's not. He, yeah. I didn't think he was as good as someone else could have done that role, to be honest. But maybe I'm wrong. Michael. Um. Yes. Look, I, I think Morgan Freeman. Morgan Freeman did. You know, you can watch Morgan Freeman and. It, you know, it felt slightly different from some of the other characters he's portrayed, um, but you know, there's a there's a warmth and humour there that kind of uh, brought them together. Um, Hilary Swank, you know, I think she did a great job, and like you know, she looked the part, um, and you know, sounded the part as well. And I think her performances, you know, obviously it's Oscar winning, um, but that for me, that's not necessarily you know <laughs> the mark of a great performance. Um, and and Clint Eastwood, like you know, I, I just I guess their performances, I just struggled to warm to them, um, you know, and maybe that's the nature of the the film itself. Um, but you know, I mean, Morgan Freeman was the the warmest one, like you know, kind of you know, he's got a beautiful voice, and that's half the probably reason why. But you know, Clint Eastwood was rough, and I guess that's part of the problem. But there was nothing that really kind of identified. Um, me with his character. Like, I never really kind of thought, eh, you know, that character's thing. And there were moments, though. There were beautiful moments. I think Glenn touched on it when, you know, she first is in hospital 
um, with a broken nose and like, you can actually, you know, uh, he's like, you know, there's a, there's moments where he goes, he, he genuinely cares. Um, so yeah, the performances were like, you know, moments of brilliance amongst kind of like, you know, okay. Acting like, okay. Performances. Um, you know, definitely not the worst performances I've seen. So yeah, and her boxing was yeah. just really spot on too. I thought she, her, her training and well, her commitment to to that that's true was was really good. Yeah, like that was yeah. that was tight. Like you know, and I think you were, yeah, like her her performance as a boxer was that was very good. Not that I, I know much about it. boxing. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm not usually a Hillary Swank fan, um, but I thought she was excellent in this. And as you said, she Glenn, she she really got into that that boxer like she had the physique and she just had that attitude that I think really suited the role and I thought she was at, actually outstanding in the role um, and actually enjoyed her, her acting performance um, Eastwood I this is this is the perfect role for Clint Eastwood especially where he is um, he he's a grumpy old man and let's be honest he's what 70 or 80 or whatever he does this so he probably is a grumpy old man I mean I'm 44 and I'm a grumpy old man, so at 70, I reckon I'm going to be probably not that dissimilar. Um, you know, you look at his past performance in Unforgiven, Grand Torino, this movie, like he plays that character now perfectly. He doesn't have to be the Dirty Harry type, but he is that that grizzled old guy and you could see him as that grizzled old boxing trainer that's, you know, always, you're not doing this right, you're not doing that right, I don't want to train girls, I don't want to do this but you can see that he's got that, um, the experience and everything else. Um, but I loved, I thought it was really believable, his love for Maggie. And, and even though I was, one of my questions was, was this um, relationship genuine? After that point, you really do see that there is a genuine connection between the two. And I think it's actually really well connected between the two actors. Um, and Morgan Freeman, this is a perfect role for him. You know, he was excellent. He's got a voice like Rich Chocolate. Like, it's just great to listen to. But he's able to have that that beautiful sense of, you know, worth. He knows who he is. He's got a great relationship with Eastwood. He's got a really good comedic timing too when he's able to build that sort of comedy within it. Uh, and he's got a great relationship with Maggie and Danger. And I think it's just a perfect role for him. He's that that perfect two I see in a movie that can help carry a movie. Um, I thought it was, I mean, they're the main three characters. The rest of the guys were handy throughout, but generally speaking, I thought the, the three main actors were perfect. And yeah, look, you could look at other guys or other people that could play those roles, you know, in the Eastwood character, if you put a Gene Hackman, would that have worked? Probably. But I think Eastwood played it beautifully. Um, Morgan Freeman, you probably could find another actor, but I think Morgan Freeman's perfect in that. And Hilary Swank, as I said, I'm not a big fan, but I think she did really well. So, I think we were doing 74 Clint Eastwood at the time of the shoot. Yep. So perfect old man, grumpy old man, age. Um, Michael, favourite scene? I'll start. Uh, look, you can start off. Yeah, the 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 winning the fight montage, like you know. Um, despite, you know, having hints of knowing what's coming, that kind of, 
when she finds that success and like you know and she's smugly knocking down opponents in like you know within the seconds of the first round and it's going why aren't you booking me a six round fight it's like you know well because you're not breathing and you're not you know you have you know four rounds is what we're doing um and you know you need time to you know practice and then so she actually waits to the end of the first round to knock someone out um yeah, that, that sequence was fun. Like, you know, that was a, a cool, funny sequence. Um, certainly, you know, yeah, as she kind of starts hitting success, that was that was good. Um, I'd say that really kind of covers my favourite scenes. Yep. Glenn? I think Michael said what I was going to say. That that whole sequence with the quick K- knockouts, the quick KOs, um, that was my favourite part of the movie, I think. Um and and it was my as soon as it happened, I knew this is my favorite part. Um, and my other favorite part, uh, for different reasons, was the whole line where she said, "Do you remember what my daddy did for Axel?" When she's asking for that favor, I was just like, "That was a good part too." But just those, all the boxing, all the boxing was great. Just all the fight scenes, but yeah, especially that montage of her just knocking everyone out it was really good. Yep. Yep. I'd probably be the same. The sports montage. I love a sports montage. You can throw a sports <laughs> montage at me and I reckon I'll probably enjoy it. Um, they did it really well. And the boxing scenes were good. They were, they were really, I felt they were realistic um, and certainly not overblown. Um, I love the Axel dis- discussion where they build up to that part where she's talking about her dad and about how the do- with the dog Axel and you know, how used to drag its behind legs and all this. And I, I really enjoyed that part of it. That's where you start to see this beautiful growth of this relationship between the two. Because um, it didn't feel... just a sneaky... It, it didn't feel like they added that in just for that last bit. To It felt natural. Like it just felt like a natural conversation yeah, that they had while they were driving. Because they saw the, she just saw the dog and re, it reminded her. It wasn't like she just said... Hey, do you want to you know hear a story from nowhere? It was just it felt like it fit, and it felt like it just was there for no other reason than to right. develop the characters. I don't know. Yeah. It didn't feel like a like you know you say it came in from nowhere. I kind of felt like that that um, going from the trash family here's a house to that like you know here's a girl with a dog um, scene. I thought, and then like you know that I just thought. It, like, I thought it was actually a little bit forced. So, um, no, yeah, I that's me. I yeah, no, that, I, I loved it. I thought it was just that conversation about how you can see that, that Eastwood is just absolutely disgusted with the mum and she's just sort of going, well, my dad was never like this and my family was never like this and, you know, we had this dog and, and I loved my dad and all that sort of stuff. So it tied in beautifully. And I did love the comment on their drive home where, you know, she, she's a paraplegic. She can't move her arms or legs. And then she basically says to to Frankie, I told you we'd drive home. You know, <laughs> I told you we could fly there and drive home. We'd still do it. That was so I cute. did like that. Yeah. Um, other enjoyable aspects of the movie. Glenn, oh. throw to you. This was your baby. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't know that just I feel like just in general the the pacing and all that worked really nicely as well like I didn't feel like it went it was flat at any point it was just quite it moved along even though what two hours or whatever it is it didn't feel like it to me it just felt like I wasn't bored for any type any part of it it just kept 
kept going and um, held my interest easily all the way through. Um, I can't really point out any specific other scenes that I liked. I think I've already done that. <laughs> yep. Michael, other aspects? Um, yeah, look, I guess, uh, you know, thinking about some of the, the technical stuff, this this film won, I think, a best Oscar for, well, Oscar for best editing. And I was thinking, wow, this this film won an Oscar for editing? Like, it's oh, kind of, you know, pretty generic. Um, pretty confident it did. No. Um, then, of course, I think, like, you know, I think back to the those boxing scenes, that, that all the fight stuff, and gone, actually, they were smooth. They, and, like, I think that's kind of... It's one of those things that really marks good editing is like when you you don't notice it, that's the best editing where it's invisible. And, you know, looking, you know, thinking back over that, that was smooth and it was invisible and it just kind of flowed. Um, yeah, I, like, so that editing was really tight. Um, I actually I actually disagree with Glenn in terms of pacing. I did get a bit bored. The, like... The, the tragedy where she does break her neck, like, you know, changes the pace of the film. It does change the tone of the mm. film. Um, but it was a bit kind of, it, it you know, it just changed the momentum and it kind of dragged off for me. So, and, you know, I got bored with your tragedy. Um, you know, whilst that sucks, <laughs> and I did feel for her, um, but it was kind of like I wasn't really, you know, I guess because the, the characters didn't, like, you know, really engender themselves when I didn't really... You know, it's like, oh, that's sad. But I didn't really kind of, like, think, you know, I was, I was checking the time. I was going, how long is this going for? <laughs> but, yeah, that, but, yeah, that fight editing, I think, was pretty tight. And it's, it's not, overall, it's not complicated filmmaking. Like, in, in the most, like, you know, in terms of how it's put together, it's like, you know, classic shot, cut shot, you know, um, you know, creating that meaning through juxtaposition. And... But there's nothing fancy about it. There's nothing complicated. I think it kind of does kind of go with Clint Eastwood's style of filmmaking. Um, and I thought that worked. You know, that that was actually fit the film. And, you know, there was no fancy special effects. Um, you know, it was just simple filmmaking. You know, and well. Yeah. I, um, I think it's beautifully written. Um, I... I love the the boxing sequences outside of the part where she actually, spoiler alert, breaks her neck. Um, I thought that was really poorly shot, but the rest of it, I thought all of the fight scenes were excellent. Um, I thought the script was incredible. Um, it it in some ways it's it's two movies in one. You've got an hour and a half is a sports movie, and then the remaining I think it's forty minutes, thirty minutes, forty minutes. Is like a drama, yeah. So and that that I, goes with the actual the basis of the film is um, the guy like the guy that wrote it. He's like his pseudonym was like T X something. Um, wrote the book that is, which is based on it, and it was actually a sh- series of short stories that it was based mm. on um, that can you know um, ad- adapted into a, a film. So that probably you know fits that kind of you know part of the feeling of the two movies in one aspect. Like it, it's it's a classic sports movie up until the point where she gets her neck broken. As I said, there's not many sports movies that you watch where the hero doesn't win. You know, there's a couple that I can think of is Rocky, where he actually loses the final fight, but it's still seen as a win because he's managed to effectively go that he loses on points. Spoiler alert: 
he goes a distance against the champion, and it's it's seen as a victory because he's a he's the he's a battler that's taken on the best in the world, and he's managed to last the distance. Uh, Friday Night Lights again. Spoiler stop! Alert, stop! No no no, no! 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 spoilers. <laughs> so sorry, Glenn. Um, sorry, they don't win, but um, so, <laughs> so, sorry about that, Glenn. Watch it anyway; it's still a good flick. Um, you know, so you get this point where you think you, you're in one direction, and then for the next forty minutes, a completely different movie. It's not what you expect, and it it does take a a different it takes you on a tangent but it, despite that I think that it's really tangent. Well, it leaps genres like it leaves <laughs> it, it literally <laughs> does it takes a cinematic cinematic leap dare we say Michael um, <laughs> at that point and it changes the completely into a completely different movie but I think it yeah they've made it work in this situation uh, questions queries dibbits Michael uh, yeah look you know probably my biggest question is they knew this German boxer was a cheat, right? Like, she's been cheating for ages. And at no point has the, like, the boxing administration gone, nah, you're a cheat, you're out. Or, um, you know, the ref goes, got to keep my eye on you. Um, don't do anything. He keeps turning around. And it's like the, the other woman goes, yeah, this is a chance. Like, she's known for it. She's dirty. And I guess by the same token, Clint, you know, um, I guess eyes of the balls go. Look, do not let, do not not look at this, you know, woman. Like, you know, when you are done, you back up. So it's not like you know, so you didn't get sprung, and it's an easy way, like you know, it's kind of like you know. I guess that's the the faith that people have in the siren and the bells is like you know, ding, ding, ding. That round is over. That's it. You know. Yeah, but that also where and she points this part out where she's she feels that she's left that Maggie's left. Frankie down because she didn't defend herself at all times, and mm. that's and Glenn made the point in the protect synopsis, yourself. Like that's his yeah. first, yeah. that's his first rule: protect yourself at all times. And she actually yeah. admits to it later that she didn't. But you're right. Um, any but other I guess questions? The, the, the system is there to protect people too. Like you know, um, it's 2004. Boxing is, I mean, like still kind of a, you know, not a, you know, that's violent, but there are rules. You know. Um, so surely, I mean, I kind of want to know what happened to that boxer. Was she jailed? No, no, essentially... no one of my questions. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's yeah. exactly the same. One of my questions. Um, I'll jump in quickly, Glenn. What happens to that boxer? Is she jailed? Is she banned from the sport? Like she has in front of the world, king almost hit, effectively king killed someone. Almost effectively king hit a person after the after the bell, which is just absolutely frowned upon completely like you just can't do it like that's that'd be the top story in just about every news sort of bulletin at the time globally globally so i i think we probably all have the same what happens to that boxer i would think that she deserves to be jailed now does that happen clearly as you said she's been cheating the whole time through are they just happy to have women's boxing in the news i don't know yeah it's one of those. You'd be. It would have been nice if you could have found out that, even if it's yeah. like that. Um, Frank I, had I'm, said to Maggie, "Oh, by the way, look. Although you're like this, you'll never ever box again." It would have been nice to have got that little bit of closure on that part of it. Or, or even like you know, Maggie, like you know, because they say she lost. Um, however, surely if there was a title fight, right? 
um, this girl is, this woman is obviously cheated, um, mm. so disqualified. Yeah, so surely by virtue of the fact that she's alive um, and still qualified, she won. So Maggie yeah. sucks. You, you're, you've got a permanent disability, but the, the boxing association has gone, you won. Yeah, you are you know, the champion of the world, even the though you can't defend it. Yeah, yeah, yeah and that to me that would have made like you know the, like that kind of she's there's that kind of bit where she goes like you know look you know just let me let me die knowing I can hear the cheers, and it's like <laughs> wow vanity much, um, but like you know if she kind of you know like, let me die knowing that I got the title like you know maybe that yeah. would have made a better story maybe maybe le- you know a little bit less tragic but maybe that's the point. Um, to die with the yeah. belt sort of thing. Yeah. Mm. Glenn, so. do you have anything? Let me quickly do my questions. First one, did she really lose that last fight? <laughs> this is not- I would say no. I know. This is just what you were talking about. Um, because he, he said to her, you lost. Like she said, can you tell me the na- what that name means? And he said, well, you lost. You know? Because he was going to tell her. She if- could have won. But, but she didn't. I don't know how she could have... How she could not – anyway, yeah, I feel like she won. Well, it, it's, it's a good point because she – I don't think there's any way that she could have lost mm. because it would have been, if nothing else, a no result, surely. Yeah. yeah. And the, the ref said, oh, you pull that shit again, I will disqualify you. Yeah. Right. So it would have been oh. a null result anyway, wouldn't it? I don't know. And my but- other question was, um, was she charged – but obviously you've already asked that as well, um, because yeah. <laughs> if it's if she's doing that after the she's doing that after the bell, it's assault as far as I can tell, um, and she should be charged. But my my question that you didn't have um, was if this whole movie is a letter from Morgan Freeman to Clint Eastwood's daughter or Frankie's daughter, why put in all this stuff about that kid danger, you know? And, and just the other background stuff going on at the gym that has nothing to do with Clint Eastwood. Clint Eastwood, he does, I think, interact with him once, but barely even interacts with those characters. So if this is a letter about her dad, I don't know. It doesn't quite fit for me. I, I think I it's more that the voiceovers is the letter. Yes, exactly. The rest of the movie is, is how we get to those different points. Yeah, but In the voiceover of... talks about danger as well. Like the voiceover at the when you first yeah. introduce him, he's yeah, he's talking to danger through through the voiceover as well. Yeah, it's a good point. Mm. Yeah. I've I've got a, an idea about that. I think like you know, going back to that initial introduction of those characters, that's it, that heart comparison. You know, he's a he's a nice guy who will never succeed. Danger Bart Park or whatever his name is. Um, and you know he's he's hopeful, he's aspirational. Um, whereas uh, Anthony Mackie's character, um, who is um, Sherelle Berry, um, is an ass. Like you know, and the comparison of like these two, um, I guess this fight between like you know boxing's identity and that way. So I don't know, broad broad bow there but yeah i think maybe that's there that's going to leave that comparison in um or maybe they need to fill out time or possibly it's also the short stories from you know fx tool yeah coming in so the only other two questions i had is why was 
like we see at the end where uh, Frankie gives Maga the adrenaline shot and Eddie or Morgan Freeman is sitting there watching from afar, like from a, a hospital door. What? Why was? Why was he there? That part I didn't understand. So it could be in the letter. <clears throat> True, maybe, but it, it, that part of it didn't quite make sense to me. And the mm. last question I had, we've covered off the rest. Actually, I've got one more too. Why was the chair like that? Oh, yeah. But is this the most depressing sports movie ever? Wait, wait, before your question, I've got one more. That's not, okay. that's not I'll as... I'll take that back. That's a nice end We can one. cut that out, can't we, Michael? That's a nice <laughs> no, end let's one. just keep it in. Uh, <laughs> um, just when he did the adrenaline shot and turned off her oxygen, I was just like, why would you turn her oxygen off first? Like, I'm, I'm going to peacefully put you to sleep, but first I'm going to suffocate you for a bit. You know, yeah. like, wouldn't just take it out the oxygen killer. But, but yeah, don't but do I that to her. The... Like, just do it peacefully through the through the injection and turn the oxygen off after she's gone to sleep. Well, I guess um, I have a, I have an idea about that. That I think the turning the machine off, like, because you've got seven minutes, a seven minute window to resuscitate someone before, you, like, you know, they go brain damage, and ten minutes before, you know, they die. So there would have been oxygen in the system. So turn off the oxygen, so like no more air is going in, and the adrenaline is to speed up the actual use of that oxygen. So, you know, it w- I don't think it would have been a very peaceful way to go. I think it would have been super scary. But, of course, she's paralysed, so you don't really see it. Um, yeah, so the adrenaline goes in, would have made her heart beat really fast using all the um, oxygen in a system, and then, yeah, so accelerates so it that- that way. So would that also, would that register more likely because there'd be an increase in oxygen because their adrenaline will go up, which means the heart would beat faster, so therefore it would require more oxygen. So therefore it would set off a trigger on the machines, which would then create an alert to the nurse's station yeah. that there's an inc- there's, there's a sudden increase in demand, or is it, it would that possibly... Not sure about that technical aspect. I mean, the, the, the beep was going off anyway. Um, how yeah. a, someone that's not rigged into a larger system, I don't know. But I think that's, yeah, how the adrenaline might have worked. I'm not sure. I'm anyway. not a professional. That would have... Just We'll go back to my last yes, question. Show yours. Is this the most depressing sports movie ever? It's certainly the because best, one of the best ever. <laughs> you know, like, I, I don't walk out of Mighty Ducks when I watch a Mighty Ducks movie feeling... Shit, I don't. It's rare you walk out of a, a Rocky movie feeling shit. You can name, remember the Titans. You could, you know, Varsity Blues. You can name any number of sports movies. Tin Cup, replacements. That you want replacements. Cracking movie. You know all of these movies. They. The, it's a classic sports trope. The Water Boy. Battler struggles. Battler wins. Water Boy. <laughs> Happy Gilmore. <laughs> all of these movies that are just. Excellent sports movies. Is this the most depressing ever? Because you walk out of this like, um, wow, that's really not what I expected. I, well, I mean, I guess it's, it's it, sports-wise is actually going really well. And I, this is what I found, like, you know, in terms of gender representation, it's like, yeah, like, you know, potential champion. I mean, we all would have liked to have seen a journey guy, like, you know, even if she kind of gets further up. Um, yeah, the... 
the turn, I think, robs, like, you know, I guess the audience of that idea that this woman can succeed. Um, and, of course, it becomes commentary on euthanasia, uh, you know, a big issue, like, you know, should this woman have the, the right to die um, on her own terms? Or, like, should, you know, the preservation of life at all costs be, you know, enforced? Um, you know, a morally and, you know, complicated and ethical, you know, sort of question. So, you know, it, it probably that's why it gets a lot of big sort of kudos in terms of Oscars and like, wow, this is actually a really important issue and like, you know, touchstone. Um, certainly it wasn't a, you know, I guess you wonder, is it a, you know, is it a sporting movie or is it a commentary on euthanasia or was it both? Uh, Michael, I'm going to throw over to you for trivia. Mm-hmm. Alrighty. Oh, you know what? I had a whole list of this stuff. Let's see if the document saved. There it is. Okay. So, uh, interestingly, boxing and kickboxing champion, uh, Lucia Raja, who also played the part of Billy the Blue Bear in this movie, was Hilary Swank's boxing coach. Um, at age 74, Clint Eastwood became the oldest Best Director Oscar winner for this movie. Uh... Mo Chusli literally means my pulse, but can mean my love or my darling. It's a term of endearment taken from the original phase, a Chusli mo Kuroi, forgive my Gaelic, uh, or pulse of my heart. Hmm. Uh, Jerry Boyd, also known as the author FX Tool, died a month after learning that Clint Eastwood had signed on to make a movie out of his work. Hmm. You wonder how he felt about that. Uh, stayed in the top five at the box office every weekend from the time it was nominated for Best Picture until after the Academy Awards. Um, something like six months, I think. Mm. Hilary Swank underwent a serious training schedule to prepare for this movie. She gained nearly nine kilograms of muscle uh, due to the workouts, and you really see it. Like, you know, there's that montage one. You see she's actually got loose tops up until, like, she crop tops it, and it's like, wow, she's ripped. Um... Here's one that's kind of interesting, a character one. Hilary Swank contracted a bacterial infection from a blister she developed on her foot during training for her role. The infection was so serious that she almost had to be hospitalised for three weeks. Catching the infection in the nick of time, she instead chose to take a week off from medicated rest and didn't tell Clint Eastwood or the other producers of this movie about the injury because she didn't believe it was in character. Method actors, ma'am. Uh, released in December to qualify for the Academy Awards, remarkably, this movie hadn't even begun shooting in July in 2004. Hmm. Uh, one of the two boxing movies that won Best Picture, the other is Rocky. You love that, Scotty? Yep. In 1976. Uh, this is the 25th movie Clint Eastwood has directed, the 57th movie in which he has acted, and the 21st he has produced. Hmm. Uh, now, here's one, Scott. You said some uh, figures earlier. According to Variety... The cost was actually closer to eighteen million instead of the reported thirty million. The amount was used. The amount that was used for publicity reasons. Don't know hmm. any other explanation for that. Um, shares with chariots of fire. Oh, I've got a trivia for you. Well, if, let me finish this one. Okay. Shares with chariots of fire, nineteen eighty one, the largest hall of Oscar uh, Academy Awards for sports themed movies. Um, each movie winning a total of four Oscars. Go, Glenn. Um, this script was written. The first draft was sent to Clint Eastwood, and Clint Eastwood read the first draft, and he said, I like it. 
And the writer said, okay, I'll do some more draft. And Clint Eastwood's like, no, no, I like it. So this was actually the first draft. <laughs> yeah. He actually, and I think he says as well, like, you know, yeah, I really like it. It's a bit of a downer. That's good. Um, I guess my last bit of trivia is Hilary Swank won the Best Actress Oscar for her performance in this movie, making the first actress to win an Oscar for the portrayal of a boxer. And that is it. That's my trivia. There's more, of course, always. You know, feel free to go check out all the trivia online. Rocky Three and Rocky Four were stiff not to get a, uh, Oscar nominations. Were they, Scott? Opinion. Were they? Yes, I mean, absolutely. And, and here's the thing, like, you know, I, I was actually thinking, um, you know, this film won a swag of Oscars. Um, but it, I'd, I'd look at it, maybe I haven't seen these films, but I don't know if the competition was that stiff that year, you know. It's certainly not up against the Shawshank Redemption or, you know, Forrest Gump. Um, you know, I think, you know, that year, what was it? Um, I haven't seen Rocky. I should watch it one day. Um, good movie. It is. It's a good movie. Although I know the ending, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah the, the best pictures, best motion pictures for those years were Winner of Rosalie Million Dollar Baby, Finding Neverland, um, Ray, The Aviator, and Sideways. So, not a lot of, I don't know, like decent films, some of them. I haven't seen all of them. Um, you've actually seen three now. Um, but, you know. Not really stiff competition. The great thing about no, movies that were released so. around this time is that they all come out when I was working at the cinema, so I saw pretty much every single movie that come out. Over from 2000, <laughs> 2001 to 2007, I probably saw pretty much everything that came out. It was great. Good times. Uh, all right, so we now move into the time of the pod where we do give our final thoughts and ratings. Michael, I'll throw to you first. Glenn, I'll, I'll leave you to last. Uh, look, it wasn't the tearjerker I thought it was going to be. Um, tragic as you know, as it is, uh, the the fight sequences are worth watching. The, you know, it's simply made. Um, you know, there is decent character growth, and you kind of you know you do see those relationships form. Um, I didn't find them as really endearing as like you guys did, but you know they're there. Um, I didn't, you know, that like the ending whilst tragic kind of really didn't. Um, I don't know. It, it didn't pan out how I would have, you know, sort of done it. But I'm, you know, I guess I'm not an Academy Award-winning director, so like, you know, <laughs> who might dispute Clint? Um, but yeah, I didn't really get a, a big buzz out of the film. I'm going with a five. Oof. Yep. Uh, for me, no, it's about an average film. Um, so for me, I went in really negative. Um. I wasn't expecting to give this a, this movie a decent uh, score at all, um, but it was a lot better than I remembered. So um, the first hour and a half, I thought it was a really good sports movie. Um, had your classic tropes, um, the fight sequences and the montages and all of that sort of stuff was good. We had great relationships built between, already established, sorry, between, you know, sort of uh, Freeman and... Eastwood, and then you sort of get that that beautiful build between um, Swank and Eastwood. So I thought it was really well done up until the hour and a half mark, and then it sort of becomes a different movie. Um, but again, that relationship between you know, Maggie and Frank 
or Eastwood and Swank in this case, um, continues on and that it actually builds further and you, and you see this genuine love between these two characters. Um, really well shot, great script, um, superbly acted. So I'll, I'm going to give it a seven. Glenn, over to you. I won't ramble on about how good I think it is. We've had enough of that. Um, I'll just tell you my score, 9 out of 10. Um, I just, yeah, I wasn't sure if it would hold up or, you know, if or if I would like it as much as I remember liking it. Um, but it, it did for me. I agree a little bit with Michael after the accident, that last half hour. It probably could have been a bit tighter, a bit moved along a bit faster. Um, but I still, I just loved it. Um, that's probably why it's not a 10. That's probably the only reason, to be honest. Um, yeah, really enjoyed it. So, yeah, 9 out of 10 for me. Beautiful. So with a score of 7, 5, and 9, now if my math is correct, that's a score of 21, which places Million Dollar Baby into the number 3 position behind the Martian on 26 and a half. And seven at 22 and a half. It is better than Matchstick Men on 20, The Born Identity on 18.5, Adaptation on 18, and Jesse James <laughs> way down below <laughs> on nine. Um, I hope we don't have anything that low ever again, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> I reckon we will. We'll get there. There'll be a shocker in there somewhere. Obviously. We go where the leap takes us. That's right. So, well, speaking of leap, Michael, it is that time that we take our. Cinematic loop. All right, Glenn, after Million Dollar Baby, you can sit, and you may actually get to sit for a couple of weeks, I reckon. Uh, <laughs> oh. Stitch it up, man. All right. So, as such, Michael, we're going to pass it over to you. You get to make the cinematic leap again. You can choose the actor, director, cinematographer, producer, whoever, from this movie. Mm. And look, it's a it's a tough one, um, just because you know I would never have seen this film without Glenn. Thanks, man, for ruining this. <laughs> um, so, you know, Jay Burkle would have been interesting. Um, you know, because he's been in some interesting films such as uh, you know This Is the End, uh, obviously The Voice of How to Train Your Dragon, and The Sorcerer's oh, Apprentice. Um, this is the end. It's great. Yeah. Um, you know, just to mess things up, I was thinking of like picking uh, Ricky Lindholm, um, but I really don't know what she does either. A lot of TV. Um, no, so I so. Yeah. Um, Clint Eastwood is not, I'm not a really big fan. Um, so I was like, oh, where can I go? And I thought, well, there's two actors that will take me to at least, you know, one place, um, you know, that I think Scott needs to journey. Um, and that <laughs> comes between Anthony Mackie and Michael Pena. Um, who obviously have both been in, like, you know, Marvel movies. Um, and I think I'm just going to go with uh, Anthony Mackie. Yeah, Anthony go Mackie. Michael Pena. Go, Michael. Go, Michael Pena. He... No, Anthony Mackie. <laughs> <laughs> go Shit. You weren't ready for I that looked one, at him. <laughs> No, I, I looked at it, and I looked at what he'd been in, and he's, he's in that Avengers world that I've never really got into. So I know, right? You could have picked Iron Man um, earlier, but... 
I could have. So I'm going to have to try and find a way to get away from that somehow. There's not a lot there. Um, well, I think you're, you're missing some uh, super films, um, such <laughs> as... Superhero films. Yeah, <laughs> Adventures What's Endgame? the woman in um, the window? I haven't heard. Oh. Uh, controversial Ooh, films, such as Captain America Civil War. That one, that one messes, my, messes me up. Um... No, I think I might have found it. And I've found a way to completely get away from the Marvel movies. So, um... That Christmas movie is good. I might... No, no, no. See, I might stick with this sports theme. Mm. Hang on, I'm just... Mm. I'm just checking... Ooh. It's another good movie that I I did Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter? That's not a sport, is it? I'd watch that. No, I'm gonna. St- I think I. I th- oh. oh, hang on. I think it's I between. Know it's looking. between a couple. What are you tossing up? I don't know. Well, he's playing it cool. No, I think I'm thinking. I'm, I think I'm going to stick with sport. I'm going to go. We are Marshall. It's not the best gridiron movie going around, but um, from what I remember, it wasn't too bad. It's based on a true story, so let's stick with that. Let's go. We are Marshall. Eight Marshall. Eight Mile is a good movie. I did look at Eight Mile. I did, um, but no, I think I'll stick. We are Marshall. Mm. But no, we are Marshall. All right, guys. We'll see you again after We Are Marshall. And like that, he's gone. In case I don't see ya. Good afternoon. Good evening. And good night. That's it, man. Game over, man. Game over. Cinematic Leap.